to the Lions of Liberty podcast. Here is your host, your guide, your shining beacon of liberty, Mark Clare. All right, and welcome back once again to a bonus edition of the Lions of Liberty podcast. I am, as always, your host, your guide, your shining beacon of liberty, Mark Clare. Now, I know I just put an episode out the other day, yesterday, but hey, I have someone on today that has some breaking news, and I figured, hey, it's a good chance to have him on to discuss his organization, discuss what he's doing, give out his news. Without further ado, I'd like to bring in my guest. He is the founder and national director of Panda, Dan Johnson. Welcome to the Lions of Liberty podcast. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for being on. Now, Dan... You know, a lot of readers of my site, myself, a lot of people that come through our little circle probably already know a lot about the NDAA, know a lot about what you do. But for those people that might just be stumbling upon this issue for the first time, can you give us the speech you've given, the spiel you've given probably a million times at this point? Tell us, what is the NDAA? What are you referring to? What is Panda? And why should we care? All right. Well, you should care because Panda is awesome. But beyond that, um, going into the NDAA, the NDAA stands for the National Defense Authorization Act. It is usually a military funding bill uh, put out by Congress, the Senate, and signed by the president every year. It's been done for about 51 years but at this point. However, over time, it became a really rather large bill and a perfect haystack to start throwing needles into. So we eventually come to 9-11, shortly after 9-11, uh, 2007, John Warner National Defense Authorization Act authorized a military unit to operate on U.S. soil, only on U.S. soil, and for civil disobedience and crowd control purposes. That was later repealed in 2009, but it set the stage for the 2012 NDAA, which the detention provisions, sections 10.2.1 and 10.2.2, essentially authorize the indefinite military detention of any person, including an American citizen, without a charge and without a trial. So imagine being hauled off to Gitmo because you believe in liberty or because you believe in freedom or because you like limited government. That's what our government, that's what our home, Department of Homeland Security can do along with the military under the 2012 NDAA, the detention provisions in there. So Panda was founded, People Against the NDAA, on January 29th, 2012, 29 days after the NDAA was put into law, to combat this legislation. And we started as a group of a bunch of college students, just uh, really upset with our government, what they were doing. I was a freshman, and several others were uh, freshmen, sophomore, etc. And uh, we decided to go to our local city council. They turned us down. They said that you need to basically go back to government class, basic government class, need to learn how our government works. There's always that person you can look to as the catalyst for something big and the catalyst for what you did with your life. That person was my catalyst. And that person was my mayor. Told me, go back, basic government class. You don't know what you're talking about. Well, you can either do one of two things at that point. You can either A, give up. Yeah, he's right. Or B, you can prove him wrong. And that's what we did with Panda. So since that point, we have become the leading organization in the nation fighting the detention provisions in the NDAA. 
we have state teams in a little over 30 states and have introduced 20 pieces of legislation across the country this uh, February, March, April alone. 100% dedicated to blocking these provisions from being enacted on American soil. And we continue to work every day, week in, week out, to make sure that our local governments and our state governments stand up to this federal oppression. What we just say to people that, you know, you hear a lot of people say things like, you know, obviously this isn't, you know, this isn't meant for us. This isn't meant for me. I'm, I'm not a terrorist. I'm not trying to fight the government. I'm not doing anything wrong. And didn't Obama, I mean, I believe when it was passed, Obama issued a signing statement of some kind saying, look, uh, I understand the power that's been given to me here. You know, I'm not going to use it against American citizens. That's not what this is about. And, you know, Chill, everyone. So what would you say to people that say that? 1862, Abraham Lincoln suspends habeas corpus and says the military shall be used against those who are, quote, disloyal to the government, close quote. We detained 15,000 northerners, not southerners. February 1942, President Franklin Delano Roosevelt signs Executive Order 9066, saying that the military shall have jurisdiction over certain areas of the country. We detained 120,000 Japanese Americans. 2012, the president signs a law saying the military shall have the jurisdiction, the law of war shall be applied to certain areas of the country, and we can definitely detain people that we think are commit a belligerent act or could be possibly, maybe, associated forces of a vague terrorist threat. How many are we going to detain? This has been used twice in America before to detain people who were later found to be innocent. During the Lincoln's detention, Supreme Court said, look, most of those people you detained and executed were innocent. During uh, FDR's reign, right after, actually fairly recently in the 90s, the Supreme Court and Congress came out and apologized to the Japanese people for not only authorizing their detention, but allowing it to happen. And today, we have the NDAA, which does almost the exact same thing in these two pieces of legislation. And we have documents released by the Department of Homeland Security and the FBI, and the Bureau of Justice Assistants that note suspected terrorists as being people like anti-federalists, people who like the Bill of Rights, people who enjoy their individual liberty, people who believe in conspiracy theories that involve grave threat to national sovereignty and or personal liberty. That's a quote from the Department of Homeland Security start report on what is a possible terrorist. Does it say anything about libertarian bloggers or podcasters in there? Should be because there's a lot of there's a lot of ways you would be totally connected to that. <laughs> I mean, you've got the. Uh, the I think I might be able to check the box on all of those actually. Yeah, yeah, you probably could check the box one way on, or uh, another on quite a bit of them, and that's the problem because the NDAA leaves the terms so vague. Belligerent act, government could not define it. Substantial direct support, government could not define it. Um, I live fairly near uh, Toledo, Ohio, and Toledo has the distinction of being the only place in the nation, or one of the only places in the nation, to have a charity that was actually funneling money to Hamas. So essentially funding, funneling money to promote terror. And this charity many people gave to is called Kind Hearts. Sounds like a really innocent name. Many people gave to this charity and didn't realize they were funding a terrorist group. Well, they could have been taken in under the NDAA for substantially supporting associated forces of terrorism. You know, when 
Judge Forrest heard this case in the 4th District Court. She laid out a scenario for the government. She said, all right, let's say someone writes a book. The rest of the book is fiction. But in the front cover of the book, they say, I support the political goals of al-Qaeda and the Taliban. Could that person be detained under the NDAA? The government's response? We don't know. <laughs> That's almost scarier than yes. <laughs> I mean, in a way. I mean, they don't even... When they don't have their own definition for what their law means, then really that means they can apply it, it to anyone that they, they just don't like for any reason at all, right? Right. So you mentioned that, that Judge Catherine Forrest and, um, her ruling, and I know there's been a lot, it's kind of been tough to keep up with. You know, there's been a lot of different rulings, a lot of different court procedures on the NDAA. Can you just give us the, what's the current, you know, legal status? What's the, what's the latest on all of that? The current legal status of the detention provisions in the NDAA, they were filed in, uh, there's a lawsuit filed, Hedges v. Obama, Christopher Hedges and six other plaintiffs filed a lawsuit against these detention provisions. That injunction was permanently put out on September 12th by Judge Forrest of last year. It went to the Second Circuit Court of Appeals. They stayed the injunction and the Obama administration appealed. The Second Circuit Court recently ruled not that the NDAA is constitutional, but that the plaintiffs don't have standing to challenge it. So that is currently where it, it resides, is that the court says... Uh-oh, are they coming the plaintiffs- to get you now? Yeah, yeah, that's the black <laughs> truck. No. Um, the court says that the plaintiffs do not have standing, and that's where we're at today. So it's kind of in limbo, in a, in a way. Or just stopped. Is it done? Because they can't even... They've ruled they can't even challenge it? They can appeal to the Supreme Court, and they've done that. Uh, we are waiting for the Supreme Court's response of whether they or not they will take the case. If they do not take the case, then the court option for the NDAA is exhausted. So solving the problem through the courts is exhausted if the Supreme Court does not take the case. If they do take the case, we'll have to see what they decide. My guess is they won't take the case. And if they do take the case, they will decide in favor of the government. So with that being said, now, I mean, it doesn't sound very optimistic going through the federal court system is, is going to do much other than perhaps bring some publicity to it, bring more awareness to it, and, and, you know, maybe there is a small chance, you know, we can do something to defeat it through there. That being the case, what can we do? What is Panda doing? Obviously, you're taking a different route. Tell us what you're doing over there. Absolutely. We are going where the people can affect their government. And where the people can affect their government is not by sending a letter to a representative in Washington to be read by a staffer and thrown away. I thought that's how they pass bills, isn't it? I saw that cartoon. You just uh, you write your congressman a letter. He uh, gives it a thorough reading. He talks to his colleagues about it. They uh, they write a law, and then we're good, right? <laughs> Only if you attach a couple million dollars to that letter. Oh, okay. So that uh, they left that part out. So. They they did, unfortunately, because people with a couple million dollars told them to leave that part out. <laughs> it, all, it all comes around. <laughs> But no, I mean, if you have you know, a couple million and you're you're willing to send a letter with that with that check, then yes, absolutely. Um, but barring that, and most citizens don't exactly have a couple million laying around in the local vault. The way bills get passed currently in Washington is very simple: absolute power corrupts. Absolutely, you have money, you get something passed. You don't have money, you don't. And sometimes money interests fight over things. Washington is not the place to fix it because they have the most power. You're not going to the people with the most power because they're the most corrupt. You need to go to the people you can affect. And where you can affect it, a little bit at your state, mostly at your local. Your city council, 
your county commission, your town hall, local government, places where they will actually have to listen to a smaller number of citizens speaking out. And that's the way we're going as Panda. And we're encouraging everyone out there. We're going to be launching our Take Back the Town campaign. Watch out for it. Because then we're going to be providing a packet and we're going to, anybody who wants to take back their town for liberty, four documents, three, four, maybe five documents, telling you this is the best way that we've found to do it. Go. And so uh, what we have to look at is uh, where does the power reside? And if you have less power, you will have less corruption. Very easy model to follow. Let's go to our local governments. Let's go to our cities and our counties and say, you took an oath to the Constitution. An oath is like a marriage vow. It's not broken without consequences. You took an oath to the Constitution. They are violating the basic tenets of our Constitution, the right to a fair trial, the right to a trial by jury of your peers, the right to be free in your person's papers and effects from searches and seizures. They're taking these protections away from your rights, and they're saying we can just violate them. And so you go to your sheriff, you go to your, your police chief, and you go to your city council, and you say, look, you all took an oath to defend the Constitution. This is unconstitutional in every way, shape, or form. It violates over 14 provisions of the Constitution. So you go to them and you say, this is unconstitutional. I do not want you to let the feds do it, and I do not want you to enforce it either. And so interposition. James Madison laid out this concept, very well established. James Madison laid out this concept in the Resolutions of 1789. He said that when there is something that threatens the very principles that our nation was founded upon, that our liberty relies on, it is up to the states, it is up to the people who take an oath of office to interpose and protect those citizens from such encroachment. And he was right. He was absolutely right. Now, it's been used for bad reasons in the past, but that does not mean the method is bad. That means the method works, but even though it's been used for slavery and segregation in the past, it's also been used for the opposite. So we're going to your local government because that's the way you're going to affect change. The politicians in D.C., they don't listen to you. They won't listen to you. And until and voting them out is not going to solve the problem because power corrupts. Even if you send a good guy to Washington, he'll come out a bad guy because power corrupts. So it's important to go to our local governments, go to our counties and say, the sheriff, you're the highest law enforcement officer in the land, stand up and say enough. The police chief, you are at the, the direction of the city council, city council, tell the police chief to stand up and say, enough, my oath to the Constitution trumps any unconstitutional law you might try to push on us. You guys have had some pretty uh, decent success doing this so far. You actually have some breaking news that just broke this week. Uh, and I think you're probably your biggest success story today. So can you tell us about that and just about you know what, what you guys have been doing in general, what kind of progress you've seen? Absolutely. So we've seen a lot of progress around the country. We have several states that are moving. In fact, Klamath County, Oregon, on Tuesday passed a proclamation. Now, it's just a proclamation. We are not totally celebrating about it, but... It is a proclamation proclaiming that they're not a battlefield, the NDAA is unconstitutional, and it shouldn't be enforced there. Now, they it has no teeth yet, but they just proclaimed that, and we'll be putting the video out when they add teeth to that legislation. And so we're starting to see 
the counties and the city is saying enough. We've had enough. We're done. And what we're looking at is numerous municipalities, numerous counties, numerous cities we're working with currently. But we have a flagship city that we are directing all of our attention to right now because of the massive potential that this city has to set set up wildfires around the country. Albany, New York, the capital of New York State, the, sorry for California, they're the least friendly state to civil liberties, just barely edges out Cali. And uh, we have the capital of New York, the capital of tyranny, Albany, New York, introducing the strongest anti-NDAA resolution in the country. And uh, we're giving it everything we've got to push that through. You can go to TakeBackAlbany.com, A-L-B-A-N-Y, TakeBackAlbany.com, and help us. Call these guys. If you know any people in New York, have them show up. Bring them to this um, this event. We have the the vote is in on October seventh. So we have very serious things going on in Albany, and it's symbolism. It's all about symbols. The civil rights movement had a bloody Sunday. They marched from Selma, Alabama, to Montgomery. They were set upon by state police, state troopers, and local lawmen, and beaten half to death. Yeah, that was Sunday. That was where they won. We're making this either A, a win, they pass the resolution, or B, our bloody Sunday. We're going to give it everything we've got, and if for some reason they don't pass the resolution, we'll win anyway because we give it everything we've got, and we show people this is how your elected officials will treat you. Get out there. Get it done in your city. Get it done in your state, and stop the NDAA so that all these other activist movements can thrive. These are activist movements who care about liberty and the Constitution or, or GMOs or war or whatever. These activist movements can thrive because now they're not under the constant threat of being indefinitely detained by a criminal government just on suspicion that they might be belligerent <laughs> according to the government's own definition. And I think that's one of the scariest um, things about the NDAA. It's, it's not, well, it's not so much the idea of being kidnapped. I mean, it is, obviously. No one, <laughs> wants, no one wants to be kidnapped or whatever, taken to Guantanamo. But it's really, it's um, how it the people that aren't kidnapped, you know, that how it will quell speech. You know, you, when you're, when you don't know if I write a single line in a book and that could get me detained indefinitely, maybe you're not going to write that line. Maybe you're not even going to put out the book. Maybe you're not going to do this podcast with Dan Johnson. You know, <laughs> maybe you're not going to have a website where you talk about this stuff. So I think, you know, that, that's the biggest point that gets lost in a lot of the debate is how there's a bigger issue here than just, you know, maybe the wrong guy gets detained for too long and he's inconvenienced because they thought he was a terrorist and they let him go. The implications are much larger, you know, in a, in a much bigger way. The USSR had Penal Code 38. And if you take Penal Code 38 and you compare it to what the NDAA does and the possibilities and what the NDAA could be used for, Penal Code 38 was put into silence dissent. It starts with law against anti-government propaganda. And as you go on, there's a law against not reporting someone. So if, if you don't report someone who puts out anti-Soviet propaganda, you yourself are punished and your family. It was crushing dissent. It was designed to crush dissent. If you look at the NDAA, they're going after two key groups of people that if you are a politician, logically, you do not go after, period. And that is journalists, the news, the news media, and people who are politically active. You don't go after those guys because they have the power to bring you down. The only reason you would go after them is if you're attempting to crush dissent. 
And when the NDAA specifically names a belligerent act, whatever that is, as something that could get you taken in as a terrorist, then that's extremely dangerous. I mean, Glenn Greenwald's partner, David Miranda, was detained under the UK Terrorism Act, which, you know, he had nothing to do with terrorism. He just happened to be Glenn Greenwald, the leaker of uh, NSA files. He happened to be, uh, or the publisher, rather, of the NSA files. He happened to be Glenn Greenwald's partner and was detained under the terrorism statute. See, this is power you do not want a government to have. And that's what's scary because, you know, when when they can just start taking your, obviously that was in the UK, but the laws are basically written in the same kind of way. If you have even a vague, loose affiliation to anyone or anything that they can call terrorism, which at this point is any manner in which you challenge the government, once you, a reporter reveals state secrets, all of this stuff is kind of under this huge banner of terrorism that, we thought was just supposed to be, you know, we thought terrorism was when you, some guys fly planes into buildings and that's bad. And okay, we all agree that's terrorism. Go get those guys. Sure. But now it's become this much broader, much more insidious definition where, I mean, every day you can be a terrorist if you just say or do the wrong thing. Exactly. And terrorism is a politically charged definition because it says that the definition of terrorism is committing terror or trying to induce terror in a population for political reasons which means it's inherently political. I mean, when the British government released a list of the top 10 things they were worried about in 1738, one of those was terrorism. Several years later, the American colonists were the terrorists. This has been used throughout history to demonize a certain group of people. Because what we have in America is we have this idea that, oh, terrorists shouldn't have rights. Well, what is a terrorist? Someone who induces fear? I mean, then someone who regularly induces fear for political reasons? I mean, if I don't like my friend, because let's say he's a Democrat and I'm a Republican, and I want to freak him out because, I don't know, he's a Democrat and I don't like the D on his shirt, I don't know. And I jump out from behind a door one day, and then the next day, then I'm officially a terrorist by its very definition. Because I've caused an emotional reaction from someone and done it more than once and done it for political reasons. That's terror. I mean, if our government, who now it's been revealed that they spy on all of our communications, including the content of those communications, whether it's email, whether it's internet, whether it's phone, whether it doesn't matter, they strip us down at the airport. When a government does that and keeps us all in fear, then is that not the very definition of terror or a terrorist? Right. It sure seems like these, uh, the broadness of the definition that the government has made, uh, pretty much includes all of them in it too. <laughs> it does. Especially because, I mean, we're talking about, uh, substantially supporting Al Qaeda or directly supporting Al Qaeda. Although the government could argue and would argue that anyone who commits a belligerent act is a bad guy and needs to be locked up forever. It is very simple to point out that our government is funding through and giving weapons to al-Qaeda in Syria through al-Nusra and violating their own statute. Right, I believe for the last uh, year or two, the as far as we've known, it might have been going on before that, but the government's been directly funding, well, first in Libya, they funded um, some terror groups associated with al-Qaeda, and now again in Syria, we're seeing the exact same thing. It's completely public. It's not even like it's just some conspiracy site. I mean, they openly admit it at this point. 
Exactly. They they openly admit it. They openly note that there are Al-Qaeda forces within the rebels. Whether or not what the U.S. influence on Al-Qaeda and the Mujahideen was, the very fact that our government thinks that it can lock up American citizens indefinitely without a charge of trial, and then just do the exact same thing that would get them locked up, and even worse than what would get them locked up, and get away with it, shows a complete and utter disrespect from the rule of law from D.C. and from even some of the state legislatures, and that's why it's important to go local, because you don't see as much of a disrespect for the rule of law there closer to the people. Do you have any uh, fear for yourself whatsoever with your activism or with negative consequences that can come with that? Now, I, I saw a few months ago... You posted something online about you were emailed some like child porn or something, and you think you were set up. Can you can you describe that incident to everybody? Because I thought it was really pretty scary. So, I mean, essentially, people did not like what myself and we don't know who it was, you know, government, private, whatever. But people did not like what Stuart Rhodes of Both Keepers and myself of Panda were doing, and emailed us PDFs. Emailed me a PDF several PDFs saying that it was NDAA stuff and needed to open it. And me being suspicious of it, knowing that PDFs hide viruses are one of the easiest files to hide viruses and things in, I uh, gave my internet security tech access to it, and they were child pornography with uh, Stuart's name on it because they tried to frame him and me in the same one. So it's dangerous work. I won't say that it's not, but... It's necessary work because the next generation didn't deserve this. They did not deserve to be the way we are today. They did not deserve to live in a world that we currently have for them. They did nothing to deserve this. One of the most powerful quotes that I ever heard, and I'll paraphrase it, but it was uh, from the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier. If the unknown soldier came back today, would he ask what he fought for? And, and then I think that sums up, you know, the reason that a lot of us speak out about things like this is because we see the world we grew up in and we know what it is and we know that maybe the world our parents grew up in was a little, a little different, a little more free in some ways. And, you know, if, if this kind of thing, the NDAA and the Patriot Act, you know, all of these laws that completely trample speech, freedom, if these things become normal, right? Right now there's, becoming, you know, this burgeoning liberty movement, there's a lot of voices fighting against it, and that's awesome, and you're one of the leading voices in the country on it. But if this stuff becomes normal, if if everybody, if nobody really cares, if there's no resistance to it, I mean, then there's no turning back. It's not like there's gonna, it's 50 years down the road, somebody's gonna suddenly say, hey, maybe we should start, I mean, why are they all taking our neighbors away? And, and all, <laughs> I, mean, I mean, it's gotta happen now, you know, it's gotta happen before it becomes entrenched, and you know, I think that's what's great about Panda. It's awesome that you started this organization. Uh, there may be others fighting for it, but you're certainly the most prominent one. Now, you're, you're emphasizing local politics, and obviously that has the most impact. I mean, if you can go up to your city councilman or your mayor and you look him in the eye and make him look you in the eye and go on the record of, you know, do you support this or not? I mean, that's, that's pretty effective because they have to at least, you know, make face, make some kind of public display on it. Even if they just reject you, well, you got that on the record too. But what about, you know, there's so many libertarians and so many people out there are putting a lot of their effort, their heart and souls into 
pushing certain politicians, you know, national politicians. There's a few politicians that are, you know, labeling themselves libertarian Republicans. I, I think, you know, last year with the next edition of the NDAA, the 2013 version, there were a few of those guys that tried to put through some amendments to kind of um, maybe water down the NDAA, make it not as bad. What do you think about that? Like, I, mean, I, th- I think you're pretty consistent on not being afraid to, I, I saw you go off on Ted Cruz's filibuster the other day. You're not afraid to criticize these these more popular guys that are even popular in the libertarian movement. So what what do you think about that? these kind of libertarian Republicans in general, and maybe more specifically, some of what they've tried to do. I know Rand Paul had an amendment, and Mike Lee might have had something to do with that, too, um, for the NDAA. I'll make two notes on that. Number one, there is nothing I try dread so much as a division of the Republic into two great parties, each arranged under its leader, and concerning measures in opposition to each other. This, in my humble apprehension, is to be dreaded as the greatest political evil under our Constitution. John Adams. 1780. He was right. See, today we have a two-party system that does nothing if not attempt to stay in power. And I used to very much respect Rand Paul and uh, very much respect others up there. And I have respect for a couple of them left. (laughs) But back uh, when Senator Davy Crockett was... uh, currently serving as a congressman. He voted to give charity money to a group of uh, people who had lost their houses in a fire. And that's not a terrible violation of the Constitution. It's not like violating our rights. It technically is, but, you know, there's worse. But but it is a technical violation. And as he was going around his district, a man named Horatio Bunce ran into him. And he talks to this man, he's like, I am one of those unfortunate beings they call politicians. And Horatio stops him immediately and says... You're wasting your time. You shouldn't even talk to me. And he's like, but I, I don't understand. Like, how, why, forgive me, I, I, what did I do? And he's, and Horatio's like, I'm paraphrasing here, but I believe you to be a good and honest man. I believe you to be a man of your word. But you have voted against the Constitution once, and I can no longer vote for you. If that's the spirit that we had in the founding days... If that's the spirit of our forefathers, if that's the spirit of the population in the 1800s, if that's the spirit of the people of America, that you took an oath to the Constitution. The spirit was not, oh, Mr. Crockett, you're playing political games. I know you're trying to get to the top. It's okay. The spirit was not, well, if we don't get Mr. Crockett in, I mean, we'll never have anybody in there who votes for liberty. Yeah, you never hear a story about, you know, you always hear about, like, George Washington and chopping down the apple tree and how he fessed up. You never hear about how George Washington, like, chopped down the apple tree but then kind of convinced you that he didn't really do it. Or, you know, it's it's all our stories are about people really boldly speaking out or boldly admitting to something. Exactly. And today, the liberty movement is accepting defeat by accepting people like Senator Randfall, like Senator Ted Cruz like any others, they are accepting defeat. And and a lot of people are not going to like this when I say this. And, and I don't usually like to pick on, on politicians. You brought them up, so I'm blaming you for this one. <laughs> it's um, on me. But if we don't hold our politicians to the very bare standard of the Constitution, I mean, we're not talking, you know, there used to be debates back in the day that both sides were within the Constitution. 
It wasn't always one side trying to break the Constitution. They were debating on something, and both sides were constitutional. It was just a moral issue. There was just a difference of opinion. Yet today, whenever anyone says anything that they even believe in the Constitution, the liberty movement falls all over them. Like, oh my God, you're amazing. Well, if we're trying to emulate, we're trying to bring us back to constitutional governance, then we the people must, absolutely must, hold our politicians, and especially the ones we like, to the highest standard we can possibly hold someone, to the Constitution at a bare minimum. And once they reject the Constitution, we must reject them, even if it's but once. If a man takes your daughter out a hundred times on a date and brings her back on time, everything works, and the hundred and first time he brings her out on a date, he rapes her, then brings her back. Would you allow that man to go out with your daughter again? Probably not. <laughs> well, I mean, but then, it's, I don't know, you know, he was a nice guy the other times, though, so maybe I should just uh, give him another shot. I mean, the, that's kind of the attitude that if, it's, some people if, take with if, politics. If you allow our politicians to go out with the thing that's most, that's as should be as sacred to you as your child, your inalienable, unalienable rights, if you allow a politician to go out with the Constitution... A hundred times, they don't do anything, but one time, in order to politically get ahead, they do not follow the Constitution. You are allowing politicians to rape your rights and letting them get away with it. Dan, now, uh, if someone's just sitting at home and had, is horrified right now, they, they just, they don't even know anything about, they don't know what the Lions of Liberty are. They just happen to click on this podcast and just found out about this NDAA thing for the first time. They're absolutely horrified. They're petrified. They're like, oh my God, I, I can't even say anything. I might go to, I might be entertained too. What should they do? What would you say to them? What's the course of action they should take to try to make sure that this does not, you know, become normal, like we said? Well, first of all, I'm really not that intimidating, so you can really chill out. <laughs> uh, it's okay. I mean, I'm, I'm a nice guy. I really am. Yeah, just talk um, to Dan. It's not that bad. <laughs> but what I would say is along the lines that Edmund Burke warned about. All that is necessary for evil to persist is that good men do nothing. We don't want evil to persist. I want to have a life for our children, for our children's children for the next generation. And I want to be able to look one person, maybe three, four years old, man or woman, in the eye. I look that young person in the eye and I want to be able to tell them you're free. I can't do that today. The next generation didn't deserve this and they don't deserve this. It is up to us. We the people are responsible for our loss of liberty, but that also means we the people can take it back. It's up to us to vigilantly guard the jewel of liberty. With regard to NDAA, go to takebackalbany.com. Help us out there. And then take a template from, currently it's uh, under resources on our website. Take a template and go to your city council and go to your county commission. Take back your town. We are the ones we've been waiting for. There's no way around that. Stop waiting for a leader to come along and lead you. We are the ones we've been waiting for. Get out there, go to your city council, go to your county commission, and tell them you've had enough. And you won't stand for this. And if you do that, 
And if you can go out and you can tell them you've had enough, you can get them to secure the blessings of liberty. That's how we take back our country. That's how we say enough. It's not on petitions. It's not sharing stuff on Facebook. It's getting out and taking action. Because Margaret Mead never doubt that a small group of citizens can change the world. Because indeed, it's the only thing that ever has. Dan Johnson, where else can they find everything you're doing? What's, just give them the rundown, the full gamut. You, you mentioned uh, Take Back Albany. Okay, TakeBackAlbany.com. All right, and where else can they find Pandas? Your, your website, social media, give them the full, the full skinny. All right, you can find Panda at PandaUnite.org. That's PandaUnite.org. Facebook.com slash PandaUnite. Twitter.com slash PandaUnite. Lots of other places, just search PandaUnite. And if you're really adventurous... Go to youtube.com slash TV. Watch videos of other citizens standing up. Learn how to do it. Learn the blessings of liberty. And defend liberty with your lives, your fortune, and your sacred honor like our founding fathers did. And we can restore this country to constitutional governance. Guys, he's doing really important work. Dan Johnson of Panda, thank you so much for joining us here on the Lions Liberty Podcast. Thank you for having me. All right, and we will be back to wrap things up after a quick word from our sponsors. This podcast is a member of the Place to Be Nation family. Visit us at theplacetobenation.com, your pop culture home. Agree to disagree. Yeah, it's a radio show we have on thenewamericanmedia.com every single Friday at 4.30 p.m. Pacific. Join the show. What do we talk about? Politics, religion, and spirituality. Basically anything you're not supposed to talk about in a bar. <laughs> You're not supposed to have these conversations inside of a bar, but we have them every single Friday at 4.30 p.m. Pacific on thenewamericanmedia.com. Join the show, offer your opinion, and let's agree to disagree, but let's have a good conversation. This is Glenn Jacobs, and you're listening to the Lions of Liberty podcast. Here is your host, your guide, your shining beacon of liberty, Mark Clare. All right, and we are back to wrap things up. Guys, I had Dan on today because what he is doing is very, very important. Now, you know, you if you're familiar with our website or if you even heard my discussion yesterday with Shane Whistler, you'll know that we don't see a ton of faith in politics being effective unless a population has the right philosophy, unless they truly understand liberty. And that's why we always focus on that on our website. We focus on ideas, lionsofliberty.com. I haven't even plugged ourselves today. Can you believe that? Lionsofliberty.com. Find us on Twitter, at Lions of Liberty. Find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash lionsofliberty. But, you know, we focus on ideas because ideas are important. We don't have a lot of faith in, you know, politics at the national level, at least. But what Dan Johnson is doing is very important. He's doing activism in an effective way, in a way where he goes and confronts the local people with power. City council, town council, his sheriff. These are the people that can put a stop to any actions the feds take, you know, on the NDA, on the Patriot Act, because it's, it's a lot harder to convince a politician and the special interests that control them to change their ways and, you know, change their policies than it is to say your mayor in your 20,000 person town or your, your bigger city or even your, your county or what have you. It's a lot easier to influence things, especially if you have an enthusiastic group, especially if you have the organization and the tools that Panda provides you. So please check out Panda, pandaunite.org. Dan Johnson's really doing a great job there. And hey, 
Check out some of our sponsors, Place to Be Nation. You need a break from all this seriousness, all this NDAA talk. I know it can be overwhelming. Go read about some sports, some pop culture, some TV, some movies. If you're into any of that stuff at all, Place to Be Nation is your pop culture home. Also, don't forget Brian Engelman over at thenewamericanmedia.com. He's been working hard the past couple years to push out a lot of top stories that the mainstream media is just not covering, not talking about. He has his weekly radio program, Agree to Disagree. Please check that out. Don't forget Ron Branch. He's the guy that wrote this tune that just kicked in here. Check him out at drawingforliberty.com. He's a talented guy. People, I got a lot planned for the next few weeks. I hope you're enjoying the podcast so far. Please email me with your feedback. Mark, M-A-R-C. No K, guys. M-A-R-C at lionsofliberty.com. Until next time, live long and live free. Mastery is John Daugherty.